I wore my fancy shirt for you today. It's a high class morning. Excited to move into a three week series that I think we're just desperate for. I think the whole Christian world is desperate for it, but I think that we as a church family um, are hungering for these kind of topics. We're going to dive into the incredibly deep but ultra applicable topics of unity and grace. And what I love about that is we could literally talk all day long about some of the theology in here. And so if we ever wanted to dig in and and learn about the mind of God, this would be one of those topics where you could just spend hours and hours and, and grow in the knowledge of your Savior through this. The application is right there in front of us too. Every time you read a verse on unity and grace, the, the applications almost jump off the page to you. And that's exciting. So if we wanted to uh, know how we can uh, grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we can grow in the obedience, these are topics that we can just really, really benefit from. Also, we've gone through a lot of change as a church and that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing. It depends on pretty much how we respond. And, and what we've talked about over and over is this is our opportunity to band together. This is our opportunity to uh, look towards the future that God would have for us and to embrace it and to uh, run forward on it. And we're convinced that if there are two topics that are going to come into play, two of the biggest would be unity and grace. And we need to warn one another that there are good things happening, but there are also things that we need to really improve on. And so throughout today, um, understand that the the goal is not to um, lay a heavy load on you or a heavy load on myself because I'm just as accountable to this. The goal is for us to say, boy, this is a golden opportunity to be truly united and to be truly gracious with each other. And again, ultimately move to where we're truly discipling one another and honoring the Lord. So let's pray that God would help in that. Father, we are, every one of us, inadequate. Not a single person in here uh, is, is worthy, Lord, of your calling, let alone capable on our own of anything good. We rely fully on you and fully on your spirit working. This time is no different. Lord, please speak clearly to us today and prepare our hearts for obedience. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So unity, again, we're just going to scratch the surface, but we're going to come away with hopefully an understanding of at least three summaries. The source of unity, the significance of unity, and the strategy, or at least the potential strategy for how we can seek unity as a family. So we'll start with uh, John 17. Turn there if you can. If you have a phone or Bible, get there as well as looking up here because we're going to move on from this slide, but we're going to refer back to these verses. Does anyone know what John 17 is all about? It was a conversation. Who is the conversation between? Jesus prays. Jesus prays. So he is talking to God the Father, and Riley's right. The intimate part of it is he was praying for you. He was praying for me. He was also praying for his disciples, and that's how he kind of starts. 
But in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 20 of chapter 17, he turns and he says something that should speak to your heart directly. I do not ask for these only. Remember that these were his disciples. He was praying for them, his followers in that current time. I don't just pray for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he literally was praying for you. And he was asking his father for all kinds of blessing in your life. He also was laying out a very clear calling, and that calling is unity. So from this passage alone, we can see the source of unity, we can see the significance of unity, and we can certainly get some application for the strategy of unity. So even if we just looked at these verses, we could accomplish our goal on that. But we'll also try and at least allude to several other passages all throughout Scripture that emphasize these even more. So where's the source of unity? Let's read these verses through, looking for the source. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Where does our unity come from? Well, it's a gift from Jesus Christ himself. Where is unity rooted? This is amazing. Unity is rooted in God himself. God himself displays and exemplifies unity. The Trinity is exceptionally deep, very complex, but we're blessed to know that God is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A perfect display of unity. And this unity, like any other character trait, by the way, if there's anything worth imitating, it's going to be reflected from the image of God himself. If there's a character trait worth carrying out, it's because that character trait is found in God's person. You follow that? Side note, this is really valuable when we're trying to sort through all of the different things we hear, all of the different things that even the Christian world would say we're supposed to be doing. What's the ultimate measure? Back to the character of God, back to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Trinity, the perfect union of three persons as one God, this is our model. This is our example. Now I wanted to uh, give you a few other references to look into. You will not find the term Trinity in Scripture, but you will find all kinds of teaching weaved throughout not just in the New Testament, but all the way back into the Old Testament. Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, uh, God starts to lay out the pattern of what had happened. And we know that the Spirit of God is listed there, isn't He? Hovering over the, 
the face of the earth. In John 1, John 1 is referring back to that creation account. And we know that in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God the Father. He was one with God the Father. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was, that was made was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So not only in the New Testament do we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but all through the accounts and the actual verses of the Old Testament, like in Genesis. It's been said that maybe the, uh, the truth of the three persons of the Godhead were definitely explained in the Old Testament, but, but maybe it was a little bit uh, uh, more discreet or slightly more vague. But in the New Testament, you see a, a light turned on and you can see all of the, the very, very clear interactions of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This relationship is our pattern. This is why we are to be united. This is the standard. And when we go back to John 17, Jesus himself says this. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the standard. And if our unity is not perfectly imitating the Trinity, then we've got work to do. Well, it's fair to say, isn't it? We've got work to do. So let's talk a little bit more about unity. There's another unity. There's a unity that you have with God Himself. You see that found? The source of your unity is a connection that you have with Jesus Christ. Turn to John 15 if you could. John 15 is one of my favorite uh, chapters in the whole Bible and it, dis it explains this intimate connection that we have with Jesus Christ. And in John 15, it lays out that He is, he is the source of our connection, that we need uh, our, our success in this Christian life will directly be tied to our connection, our unity with Jesus Christ. He says that, doesn't he? That they all may be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That they may also be in us. I want you to write down three chapters, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and Ephesians 4. This concept that we are united and that we are in Christ is an amazing concept. And Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 have all kinds of deeper teaching of what Jesus meant when he said that we are in Christ and united with Christ. But Ephesians 4 also lays out mighty clearly that we're connected to each other. How are we described in Ephesians 4? There's a couple of ways. Anyone remember? 
We're described as a building, a spiritual building that God is putting together, working together. How about in Romans 12, how are we described? The body. The body. It's been said that there's no good illustration of the Trinity. It is such a big, unbelievable, deep concept that there's no good picture here on earth to accurately explain it. There's a few. You can look at them. They have some connection. But it's just too big. It's too marvelous. But there's a very clear picture of how we're connected to each other. And what's that picture? We're a body. We're a body. Who's the head of that body? Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. And each of you, each of us, are a body part. Each of us are a member. United as one body. Now that's a very simple statement with unbelievable ramifications. But see where God is going with this? Jesus Christ Himself is saying that I'm in you, Father, they're in me, and we're united with them. And here's the big point. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Down to 23. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The Trinity is perfectly united. We're told to be perfectly united, aren't we? The source of that unity is not only from the example of the Trinity, but through the work of Jesus Christ to draw us to himself, to be put in Christ, and to draw us together as a body. Now, what's the significance? What's at stake? We don't have to worry about the Trinity carrying out their part of unity. What's at stake when we look at our unity? Look at verse 23. What do you see? That the world may know. That the world may know that the Son was sent from the Father. That the world may know that the Son came with love. Our unity, our closeness, is the direct vision to the world of the the Son's unity with the Father, of the Son coming with His gift of love. That is powerful. That's sharp. As we said, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, tie a beautiful string of teaching on even a deeper level that basically is summed up in this. God's purpose is to proclaim His glory. Fair to say? Can you find tens of Scripture to say that? And in this time, what is God's tool? What is God's means for portraying His glory? It's you and it's our unity. Ephesians says that the church has been given to Christ to show the fullness of God's glory to the world. That's heavy. And as as one of my brothers has reminded me lately, 
there's no room for uh, cheap imitation unity. There's no opportunity to come along and say, oh, we're close enough. The unity that we have with each other directly shows the unity between the Father and the Son and directly shows the gift of salvation that God has brought offering to the world. Why aren't more people seeing that? Well, we know there's all kinds of theology in that. But understand that we have an opportunity and a responsibility through our unity to share the good news with the world. And the problem is, is we're not cutting it. The problem is, is that we're not fully grasping and then carrying out the significance of true unity. And I fear, based on the teachings of Corinthians, that when we stand before our Savior Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, that there's going to be a pointing out of our missing the opportunity to bring more glory to God. Let's do everything we can to end that now. Let's move forward with a commitment and a desire to unify in a true, meaningful way like God the Father would desperately call us to do. He has put so much opportunity in us to glorify Himself. You ever wonder why He leaves it so much with us? Mystery. But He chooses to use His church to show the, the glory of the Father and the connection of the Father and the Son. Heavy, heavy stuff. So the source of the unity is clearly God Himself. Write down those verses if you haven't already, but uh, Ephesians 4, 11-13 is where the church is called the body of Christ. Let's look at Romans 15, Romans 15, 5-7. Uh, this is powerful. Paul, again, is, is asking and praying, saying, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may be with one voice glorifying the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. This is our purpose. That's why we walk the earth. Is to glorify God through our unity and connection and harmony with the body of Christ. Oh boy. Help my brother Jess or Nathan. There we go. By the way, I need to give credit to Nathan and Jess Huber for the animation of my PowerPoint today. The significance, we've already jumped into it some. Look at uh, 1 Peter 1. So hopefully you understand the significance of being united with each other, that if we do not stand in harmony, if we do not stand in unity, then the name of Jesus Christ is dishonored. 
But we need to now start to lay out what is true unity. What is the standard? Well, first, let's look at our connection with Almighty God. We are one. We are in Christ. We are connected. We are unified with God. What does that require? Take a look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. He lays out the standard. If you want to seek to be faithful to your union, your connection, your position in Christ, here's what the cost is. Verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God tells His church, His body, true unity is holiness. Holiness in some of your conduct? What did it say? All your conduct. In all your conduct. There are no pockets of my life and your life that are uh, excluded from the command to pursue holiness. Integrity, purity, Holiness is required of the body of Christ. So understand that when we're talking about unity, understand the the serious definition, one of the definitions of unity is holiness, integrity. And if we're going to represent God, we need to match His holiness on a daily level. Now it's a good thing for this morning's theme in the breaking of bread, right? Why is that? Where Where am I going with that? Because like Joe said, I mean, God knew that we were going to fall on our faces daily on that and still loved us, still chose us, still was wanting us to be His representative. But the question is, are we pursuing true holiness with everything we have? Or are we letting ourselves and each other get by with with cheap grace, with uh, inexpensive devotion, with phony unity? I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Never has that been in God's plan for our unity. We need holiness. We need purity. We'll talk more about the strategy of how we uh, follow Him on that. The message is clear. We show the unity of God Himself. Here's one other significance. Again, John 15, all about our connection with Jesus Christ, our unity with Him. And he promises in verse 11 that when we abide in him, that we will have fullness of joy. We'll talk about that more later. But understand that this cost of unity is not at your misery. God has designed you, he's designed me, he's designed this body to be most fulfilled when we find our unity with one another and with God himself. 
the garbage that we go through on a daily basis, the misery, the lack of peace, the frustration, in many, many ways is because we are not pursuing that unity with one another and with God. And we're missing out on unbelievable joy. We're missing out on unbelievable opportunity to have fullness of life. Now, will that mean easy street? No. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. But if you remember from Acts when disciples of Jesus Christ were beaten for the name of Jesus as they were found faithful, they went back to the other disciples doing what? Rejoicing. Because there was a fullness of joy. I think you feel that need for full joy. I sure do. And I think we know enough that the futility of our laziness and the futility of our rebellion and the futility of our unwillingness to submit to God really robs us of all kinds of joy. So the ultra-significance is this is our calling. That's our position. But understand that God in His wisdom has also laid it out, not for misery for you, but for fullness of joy. Be encouraged by that. Be excited by that. So, summarize. The source of unity, if we're the body, what's that all about? That's all about having a connection to God Himself and to each other, rooted and demonstrated in the person of God Himself. The perfect harmony amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we need to start building a strategy. How do we truly unite as a body? How do we truly unite with Christ as the vine? And how do we really start to tap in and fulfill this ultimate purpose? Well, there's some uncomfortable but very clear commands that God would have for us. How do we, first of all, connect with God? How do we live out the unity that we have of being in Christ? Well, now we go back to John 15 with a little more depth. So join me there. John 15. Jesus says, again, remember, all about unity, all about connection, the how-to, the strategy of how to connect. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. By the way, who are the branches? Us. That's right. We are the branches. This is talking about our connection to the vine, Jesus Christ, and to the vine dresser. Verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Meaning, if you know Christ is your Savior positionally, you're purified, you're united, you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. A little bit of side note here. Take heart. We're not talking about uh, losing your salvation. We're not talking about somehow being uh, disconnected permanently and, and thrown out. If you know Christ, you are joined with Him. Now, the challenge on that is when you know Christ, are you done? 
No. Abide in me and I in you. It's a constant life pursuit. Thankfully, he clarifies more. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, that's not talking about a, a true follower of Christ losing salvation. That is uh, referring to potentially false followers of Christ. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is the strategy for connecting to Jesus Christ? It's right there in verse 7. If you don't want to take it from verse 7, take it from the old kid's song about grow, grow, grow. What does it say? If my word abides in you. What is Christ's word? You guys are really slow today if you don't know that one. What's Christ's word? The Bible. Raise your hand if you have a Bible. Or access to one. You have Christ's word at your fingertips. Your connection with Christ is reflected by your abiding in that word of God. Your time in the book. Your attention to what Christ has to say in His Word to you. There is no substitute for time in the Word. There is no excuse for neglecting the Word of God on a daily basis. It's critical to the follower of Christ that wants to live out the unity that he has with God himself. If you want to be connected to Almighty God on a practical as well as a positional basis, read your Bible. Get in the Word. If you are not in the Word, you are willingly passing on the opportunity to connect with the Almighty. And we have no time for that, family. We've got no chance of being united if we refuse the connection with Jesus Christ. We have to get serious. We have to get purposeful. We were challenged, some of us at Promise Keepers as men, to stand and commit to reading the Word of God every day for the rest of our lives. And we went, oh crud, that's a big commitment. But that's where it's at. There is no excuse for me failing on that. It's willing rebellion if I choose not to obey that. Forgive the firmness that's not coming from KT, that's coming from Jesus Christ Himself. If you abide in My Word. If My words abide in you. It's critical. There's a second component. You know this component. What's the second part of verse 7? Ask. Ask. What's that all about? That's the prayer. That's the prayer. And Jason and I have talked and challenged each other through the years. How do we become better men of prayer? How do we pray without ceasing? How do we give every burden to the Lord in prayer the minute it comes up through the day? It's not rocket science, and yet I rebel against it way too much. We study God's Word. We depend on Him through prayer. 
And he will connect us more and more with himself. We have to obey that. That's number one strategy. If we'll obey unity, we'll deepen our unity with Christ. This one's equally clear, but even more difficult if you ask me. We need to deepen our unity with the body. Look at Philippians 2. When I read Philippians 2, I get the feeling that Paul is begging. He's laying it on the line. Maybe he's frustrated at some of the stupidity of the disagreements that were going on in the church in Philippi. People not getting along, fighting, backbiting, button heads. And I can hear him pleading, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's begging the church to step up to the plate and be united, to be one as God Almighty called us to be. And the number one strategy for doing that is it, understanding it is not about me. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. We have to start laying down our lives for one another. We have to start following through with true unity where we start to really believe that your needs are more important than mine. I'm talking their four fingers to my chest, as Mark likes to say. There are four fingers pointed at me. I am with you on this. But we have to start understanding that each other need to come first. This is a huge responsibility, a huge calling, and we've got to be obedient to it. Let's dig into this one even a little more. Deeper unity with the body. Deeper unity. Love and devotion. How do we carry out Philippians 2? How do we start to put the needs of others above ourselves? Well, Matthew gave me a list, this is a great list, of all the different scriptures in the New Testament that use the Greek term literally translated one another. These are the one another's. You probably have heard of these. Let me read them pretty quickly. And again, if we had more time, we could dig into all these. We'll grab a couple of them. But listen to these and start to get a feel, an idea of what God's talking about by placing the needs of others. Be at peace with one another, Mark 9. Know that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you so must love one another. This is my commandment. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another with mutual affection. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment 
on one another. Romans 15, accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Romans 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's table that one for now. 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wait for one another, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 12, have equal concern for each other. This is a powerful one that I need to work on. Let me read that verse. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other there's no room in the body for me being more devoted to one of you than to each of you there's no room in the body for me to give preference to some of you in serving you and not to the others. There needs to be a unity and equality of my love and concern for each of you. Am I going to know one person a little better than the other? Maybe. But there can be no resting on these laurels of I'm just going to focus on the people that I know. True unity of the body says that if God has brought this family together, I need to give equal concern and love for each of you. More to say there. Greet one another. We said that one. Uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. This is back to that holiness. This is true unity. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Carry each other's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What does bearing with one another mean? Put up with each other. Be long-suffering. It's not going to be easy. I will tick you off. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Joe, why'd you shake your head when I said that? <laughs> the reality is we have to bear with one another in love. We have to be humble, forgiving, loving one another. We could go on. There's all kinds. Let me uh, move to the bottom. First Thessalonians 5 says, Live in peace with one another. Hebrews 3, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And Hebrews 10, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Are you starting to hear the picture? Are you starting to get a, a framework of what God means when He says, be humble, put others' needs ahead? I think He's laid out the blueprint for us. The strategy, we need to live out the one another's. And I'm grateful for, to Matthew for putting that together because that was very uh, insightful when you look at them all together. More to say, but there's a, another hard point that needs to be made. Encouraging one another sounds real easy, doesn't it? What's our typical understanding of the word encouragement? James, if you're going to encourage me, what are you going to do? 
Yeah, I'm gonna, you're going to lift me up. Practically, what do you think of, Bradley, when you think of encouraging me? Telling me what? What's that? Yeah, telling me what? That I'm... Nice job. Yeah, absolutely. That is a key part of encouragement. Is that the only part of encouragement? Matthew's out of the room, so I can talk about Greek all I want and not worry about him correcting me. But my understanding of the Greek word where we get encouragement literally means to come alongside, put your arm around someone, and direct them in the right path. Whether that's by telling them, you are doing a great job by pursuing that. Keep going in that direction. Or whether that's saying, bro, you're missing the boat, get going that direction instead. Edification, encouragement, exhortation, all the same word. And that means to come alongside and spur one another on towards God's best. It can be done through, through words. You're doing a great job. It can also and needs to also be done through correcting one another. Take a look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18 lays out a clear prevention of avoiding fake unity and skin-deep unity. And Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, gives commands, not suggestions, commands to followers of Jesus Christ. Let's look at it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Ladies, you're off the hook. It's just about brothers here. No, understand, that's a general. That's men, women. What is true unity? True unity is when I sin, you come and you tell me my fault. We talk it through. We seek the Scripture together and we seek correction. You come alongside, you put your arm around me, you say, KT, you missed it, you blew it. Or maybe better, KT, it seemed to me like this maybe was the case. Can we talk this through to find out your heart on the matter? This is a lost discipline. Because there's a key phrase in there. We're very good at pointing out our brother's sins, right? But where do we point them out? To other people. Shame on me. Shame on me. Go between you and him alone. Unity of the body depends on you having the guts to come to me and point out where I need to grow and me having the guts to come to you and point out where you need to grow. But it's between you and me. What happens when I tweak this just a little? What happens when I am all about pointing out error, but instead of coming to you, I go to another brother or sister? What does that do to unity? Tears it down. Tears it down. We start living in fear of each other. It leads to backbiting, to gossip, to slander, to all kinds of negative things. If we love one another... We'll go to one another. Now, Mark and Lev and Brett and Bench and, and, uh, have really done a great job challenging me that, you know what, we need to be approachable people. We need to be humble and gentle so that 
we feel comfortable coming to one another. That's absolutely true. And I need your help on that too. I'm far, you know this, I don't have it together. I desperately depend on you to confront and to challenge. But as we start to, in love, in humility, because we care about each other, come to one another and say, hey, let's talk about this. I'm wondering if you missed it. That is true unity. That is true discipleship. And if someone comes to you ready to talk about another individual shortcoming, what's the unifying approach? Have you talked with them on that? Well, no. Well, start there. If, if they don't hear you, I'm with you. You know, it, the second step is I'll, I'll go with you. I'm with you. But start there, brother. Start there, sister, because I cannot entertain disunity through us gabbing about that person's fault if we have not faithfully followed God's pattern for unity on confrontation. I'm very convicted about this. I pray that you will be too and let's work together on it to truly uh, love one another and confront one another. Uh, Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more so uh, as you see the day approaching. Gathering together, spending real time with each other is vital for building unity. Hebrews 3 says, but encourage one another daily. Daily. Now, I am not going to be on Jess's doorstep every day. The busyness of our lives prevented. But you want a little light at the end of the tunnel? We have an opportunity now in ways that we, our grandparents never had. If I want to encourage Jess, how do I do it? Text him. Call him. We joke about technology, but there's a huge opportunity to connect with each other daily. I'm being serious. The question is, will I text the same people only? Or will I be faithful to the unity of the whole body and start reaching out to encourage you? Maybe we haven't talked since last Sunday. Maybe I've never texted you in my life, but I want to reach out in encouragement. And of course, we know God's wisdom and encouraging the brothers to encourage the brothers in those ways. And sisters, I'd urge you to encourage your sisters in those ways. And I'd urge us to uh, respect those boundaries as a pattern so that we can really wholesomely and with great protection see the whole body built up. But there's all kinds of opportunity there for encouraging one another, both the hard ways and the fun, encouraging, easier ways of coming alongside each other. Strategy one, abide in Christ. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Strategy two, we have to encourage each other, both by confrontation and reinforcement of all the good. Lastly, this share life. Look at Romans 12, and we'll close with this. Romans 12, verses 12 through 13, lay out something that I think in the past we've done well, but I think right now we need work on. Romans 12, verse 12. This is, by the way, following after the encouragement of being a, uh, giving your life a living sacrifice to God. And one of those ways is, uh, verse 12 and 13, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, 
and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hospitality is a huge opportunity for true unity. And I was doing some thinking, and I'm not, again, this I'm not bellyaching here, but I don't think, and we've talked about this, Christy and I need to do a better job of having our church family into our home as much as we have others that aren't in our local church. And so we've got a lot to work on in there, but we're going to lay out some times where we're just going to seek to connect with you. As I was evaluating it, the other side is true too. I've been invited to far more homes of people outside our local church than by those inside the local church. And I think if we really are going to live out unity, we need a far better display and giving of hospitality to each other. I know that you don't care if we have dishes in the sink. I always think you do, right? I don't care if you have laundry laid out. I don't care how big your apartment is. I don't care how nice your apartment is. Our true hospitality can extend beyond any kind of borders that may appear to exist. Let's be hospitable to one another. Let's devote ourselves to serving and connecting and showing kindness to one another. Let's get each other in our homes, sit around the table, and get to know each other better so that we can live out this unity. That's the bottom line. We've got a source of unity, Almighty God. We've got the significance that you represent Christ Himself and whether He came in love from the Father. And the strategy is connect with Christ. Don't miss another day of time in the Word and prayer. Connect with each other with true edification, meaning that you come to me not if but when you need to challenge me. And when someone else comes to you ready to challenge someone else and they haven't made it right with them yet, turn them away. And be faithful to take every opportunity to build up and come alongside and say, great job, keep at it. I want to be like you in that. That was so cool. Nicely done. And finally, give ourselves the opportunity for that kind of edification by continued contact. Ultimately, through hospitality and really sharing life as a family. There's some great things happening at this church. There's even better things waiting for us that God has. Father, we lift this to you, trusting that uh, you'll allow us to sort through uh, what was not of you and embrace wholeheartedly the message that you'd have. In Jesus' name, amen.